uh, your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And no, that does not mean that we are starting our series on Romans. Uh, we are going to be doing that, but we will be starting at Romans 1 when that happens, not Romans 6. I learned uh, last week they got to be careful what you ask for because uh, I had uh, issued an invitation uh, to, uh, if anybody wanted uh, more uh, Identity in Christ sermons, that I would entertain the idea of addressing them. And I got eight or nine requests uh, for more You Are and Your Identity in Christ sermons. And I can't do all of them. That would, that would push too far down the road, our, our beginning of the study of Romans. And so I'm trying to, to sort of carefully discern which ones uh, to, to do. Some of them will be addressed either through Romans or in sermons down the road and things like that. And so for at least a, a couple of those, we'll be able to address. And so one of them this morning is a request to, uh, to speak to, our, I, I changed it a little bit. The request sp- uh, specifically was our identity as slaves or bondservants of Christ. And as I studied that theme, it kind of draw, it, it drew me to Romans 6 and our identity as slaves to righteousness which is very closely tied, of course, to our identity as slaves to Christ. So Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. And uh, before we read, uh, if you would bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we have come into your house to worship. We have come, Lord, to exalt your name. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, I I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we might hear it correctly, that we might receive it fruitfully, that your truth might be planted deep in us, and that it might bear fruit for our good and for your glory. Lord, give us ears to hear, and give us eyes to see, and give us hearts to receive the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. I felt safe, by the way, doing a message on Romans 6, even though we're going to be beginning a whole series through Romans, because it's going to be a long, a while before we get back to chapter 6 again once we start. So Romans 6, 15 to 23. What then shall we, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. 
When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. So over the last uh, several weeks, we have been exploring our identity in Christ. And for the most part, the emphasis over the last several weeks has been on, 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 who, uh, on grace, on, on uh, what God has graciously done in us to make us who we are. And so we, we've seen, uh, for example, that we are loved and that we are forgiven, that we are adopted, that we are saved, that we are the temple of the living God, and we are God's uh, covenant people, and we are his image bearers. All of, these, uh, all of these are manifestations of the doctrine of grace. But all this emphasis on grace may lead some to grow complacent in the fight against sin. If we are saved and forgiven by grace alone, then, then why not just keep on sinning, knowing that whatever we do is covered by God's grace anyway? Well, that's the, the question that we face this morning, and that's the question that Paul answers in Romans 6. Now, to feel the weight of Paul's argument, we have to see uh, the bigger picture, sort of the, the, the context into which Paul is writing. So in Romans chapter 1 to 3, verse 20, Paul makes the case that, that all humans are under the power of sin, that there's no one righteous, Paul says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is able to be justified, that is to be declared uh, right or to have a right standing before God. No one is, is uh, able to be justified before God by works or by obedience to the law. Nobody can do that. But it's into the, this universal darkness of human sin and guilt that Paul shines the light of the gospel of grace. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 21, to the end of chapter 5, that believers are justified. We can't be justified by works or obedience to the law. We are justified instead, he says, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is only possible, Paul says, through the cross. It's by the cross that the righteousness of God is credited to those who receive Christ in true faith. That's how we are declared and made righteous in God's eyes. It's only through faith in Christ and by his work at the cross. But at this point then in Paul's writing, in his letter, in his argument, Paul understands that this doctrine of grace may lead some down a wrong path. They might assume in their thinking or in their practice that because we are under grace, we really don't need to take seriously our fight against sin. They might see this doctrine of grace as an excuse to go on sinning. Oh, it's, all, it's by grace. Great. I can do whatever I want. That's, this is what a wonderful doctrine this is. And so Paul addresses this issue of sin 
in Romans 6. And he hangs his teaching on two rhetorical questions. The first one is in verse 1 of chapter 6, where he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? If it's true, as Paul has just said at the end of chapter 5, that where sin increased, then grace increased all the more, then why not just go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he raises a similar question in verse 15, which is really kind of an echo same question stated in a little different way. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul's answer to these questions is an emphatic, by no means, absolutely not. In Christ, he says, we have been set free from our slavery to sin. And this freedom from the enslaving power of sin is not a freedom, he says, that allows us to indulge in sin without consequence. That's, not, that's, not, that's the wrong way of thinking. Rather, Paul says, it is a freedom that makes us slaves to righteousness. So our identity in Christ is an identity of slavery. We have been brought from one slavery to another, from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. We are in Christ. Our identity in Christ, according to Romans 6, is that we are slaves to righteousness. And we see in our text this morning what this identity as slaves to righteousness entails. There are four things. Number one, we see that our identity as slaves to righteousness involves allegiance to the whole body of Christian doctrine. Paul says in verse 17, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And that phrase, the, the pattern of teaching, which in Greek is, is typos didache, uh, that phrase encompasses the, the whole body of Christian doctrine, the sum of Christian ethics and biblical instruction based on the teaching of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that our conversion, that when we come to Christ, when we are converted, regenerated, our conversion is not just a vague commitment to follow Christ. It involves nothing less than a sweeping transfer of loyalty. We go from slaves living in allegiance to sin to slaves living in allegiance to the whole way and truth of Christ. And what this means for us is that our identity in Christ demands that we be men and women and children and families and churches that are wholly devoted to the Bible that we live with unwavering devotion and allegiance to, to the whole body of Christian doctrine as revealed in Scripture. We, we, we can't just accept bits and pieces and, and then kind of leave out the parts that we don't really like or understand and call ourselves Christians, which seems to be what, what more and more Christians, professing Christians, are doing today. No, we go all in with uncompromising commitment even to the parts that we don't like or understand. Which means we study it, 
We immerse ourselves in it. We, we memorize it. We meditate on it day and night. We so saturate ourselves with it that it becomes part of the very fiber of our being. Paul says that this kind of allegiance can only come from the heart. You, you may try to do it just sort of externally by, by saying, I'm going to you know, just commit in my mind to, to live this way. No, it's not going to happen. Paul says it only comes from the heart. You have to obey. He says, uh, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. It is only a profound heart change that can produce this kind of radical allegiance. The kind of heart change promised by the prophets in the new covenant. If you remember the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when God spoke of the new covenant to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I will put my law in their minds and I will, this, time, this is what's going to be different from the old, the old covenants. This time I'm going to write it on their hearts. And speaking of the same thing through the prophet Ezekiel, the same new covenant, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When you have a new heart. And what the prophets anticipated is now fulfilled in those who belong to the new covenant in Christ. As slaves to righteousness, we live in uncompromising allegiance to God's word, born of a, out of a new heart that has been captured and changed by Christ. And so our identity as slaves to righteousness involves allegiance to the entire thing, the, the whole body, the, the every last jot and tittle of Christian doctrine. Number two, we see, second, that our identity as slaves to righteousness involves taking a subversive stance against a culture of death. Paul says in verse 16, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness? You see, Paul is saying that in the end, that, that we all live as slaves to something. Everybody is a slave to something. And in the end, there are really only two options. There are only two slaveries, two kingdoms, two dominions. We are either slaves to sin in the kingdom of darkness, which leads to death, or we are slaves to Christ in the kingdom of light, which leads to life. There is no middle ground there is no middle way. There is no neutral stance. And what this means for us is that our identity as slaves to righteousness in the kingdom of light puts us by necessity at odds with the kingdom of darkness. Our identity as Christians is by nature a subversive identity. We are children of the light, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. We are children of the light and we must have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. That's language of, of opposition, of subversion. You see, you have to understand that as slaves to righteousness, we stand for everything 
for everything that the kingdom of Christ stands for. We, we don't accommodate to our culture. We, we don't bend to the teachings and ideologies of our corrupted generation. We don't allow the world to influence us in our thinking, in our behavior, in our doctrine, in our beliefs. We, we take our stand against it. We shine as light, as Paul says in Philippians, we shine as light in the darkness. One of the more recent commentaries on Romans sees the whole letter as a letter of subversion, a letter written to disarm the abusive and oppressive regime of the Roman Empire, a letter meant to shape and form subversive disciples of Christ who live out the radical values of the kingdom in a world that defies what that kingdom stands for. And so when the world tries to shape how we think about politics and commerce, about health and wealth, about, about marriage and sexuality, we, we don't just mindlessly conform to their ideologies and agendas, no matter how forcefully and how strongly those messages are coming. We stand firm as slaves to righteousness in the kingdom of Christ, shaped and formed by the teaching of the one true king. And I believe, and this, this is relevant for us, for new elder and, and deacons for us as we enter into a new season of leadership in the life of the church, I believe this is one of the biggest issues that the church faces today. I, I, I believe that we are at a watershed moment in the life of the church. A, a decade ago, we could go about our business as disciples of Christ really without much notice in the Western world, and we could kind of blend in and, and, and you know, do our own thing, and nobody really would notice that much. Things are so much different today. The divide between biblical Christianity, and I say specifically biblical Christianity, the divide between biblical Christianity and the culture of death is deeper, is far deeper than it was a decade ago. And so it, it takes more courage. It takes more courage to be a biblically grounded Christian today than it used to. That, that's what I mean when I say that, 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 it's, that things are, are different, that it's not, we can't, kind of blend in like we used to. If we're going to be a biblically grounded Christian, it's going to take courage. And the question for us as Christians today is, are we up for it? Do we, do we really have what it takes to be subversive disciples? Do we dare to live as slaves to righteousness in a world that despises that kind of living, that kind of thinking? Will we influence culture or will we let the shifting sands of culture influence us? These are sobering questions and, and now is the time for Christians and churches and individuals, elders and deacons and families and, and, and uh, husbands and wives and children to sort out who we really are. What kind of Christian are you? Do you have what it takes to be a subversive disciple? Paul says in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And the implication is that now that we are slaves to Christ, we are under the control of his righteousness. 
To be a slave is to be, is to be owned by someone, to be under the, the control of that, of that master. We live under the rule of Christ. We are subject to his lordship. We take every thought captive to him. We allow his teaching to shape our motives and our desires, our goals and our aspirations, and it, it dictates how we function in our marriages and how we raise our kids and how we lead in our churches, how we handle our money, and how we conduct ourselves among colleagues and friends. The posts that we put on social media. To live in the kingdom of Christ is to die to sin. To live as slaves to righteousness is to take a subversive stance against the culture of death. Number three. We see that our identity as slaves to righteousness involves devotion to spiritual disciplines. Paul says in verse 19, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, note, notice the, the progression, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Again, a progression this time in the opposite direction. We have been made righteous through the sacrifice of Christ, that's grace, and now we are to live out our righteousness in ever-increasing holiness. That's responsibility Again, by God's grace. To put it another way, we have been justified by faith alone, and now we are to grow in our Christ-likeness through the ongoing process of sanctification. And this growth in Christ-likeness will not come without devotion to spiritual disciplines. You, you, you cannot expect to gain muscle if you don't put your time and work in at the gym. It's not going to happen, unless maybe you're a farmer. Working out in the fields all day, you can build muscle that way too. If you don't work your muscles, if you don't exercise, if you don't put the work in, you're not going to gain. Well, so too you can't grow in righteousness if you don't practice the spiritual disciplines required for growth. Paul says in verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Every part. Our whole body, soul, mind, and heart. We offer, as Paul says in Romans 12, our, our whole selves as living sacrifices. And how do we do that? How do we get to that place where we offer every part of ourselves as instruments of righteousness? Well, it comes through transformed desires. Notice what Paul said in verse 12. He said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You see, the, the Christian life is a life of competing desires. And the only way, what it comes down to is the only way to conquer our natural obedience to the, to the, to the, to the evil desires, because that is the, what we are in our, in our fallen state. We are going to obey the evil desires. The only way to conquer our natural obedience to the evil desires is if we desire something else more. In other words, we live as slaves to righteousness when we desire God more than we desire sin. 
We live as slaves to righteousness when we prefer Christ over sin because we have come to see Christ as the all-satisfying treasure that he is. And that transformation of desire only comes to the practice of spiritual disciplines. Or at least I should say it begins by God's grace awakening our hearts. It begins, it's all the work of God. From that point on, we grow in it through the practice of spiritual disciplines. It comes to the ongoing discipline of repentance, repenting of our sin, which we're gonna do again as we celebrate communion this morning. It comes through time spent in God's word and, and not just reading it for the sake of reading it so you can you know, kind of check it off your list. I, I did that for the day and I'm a, I guess I'm a good Christian because I did my part. No, uh, reading it with a heart that is hungry to be transformed by it and to live by it. It comes through time spent in prayer and in worship. The more time we spend in these spiritual disciplines, the less likely we are to be drawn back into the old ways of slavery to sin in the kingdom of darkness. Our identity as slaves to righteousness involves devotion to spiritual disciplines. And finally, number four, our identity as slaves to righteousness is based on the sin-bearing work of Christ. Paul says in verse 18, <clears throat> you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And how is it that in Christ we have been set free from sin? You know, we were slaves to it. We were chained by it. We were bound in it. How is it that we now have been set free from it? Well, it is through the sin-bearing work of Christ at the cross. Paul made this so clear earlier on in, in Romans 6 when he said in verses 6 and 7, For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Crucified with Christ. We have been released from our slavery to sin by the death of Christ on the cross. Our old self, our old self ruled by the sinful nature, dominated by sin, captive, captive, made, made captive by sin, conquered by sin, under the dominion of sin, our old self was crucified with him at the cross. And the old slave master of sin has lost its grip on us when Christ bore in his own body the penalty for our sin. That's, that's the amazing glory of the gospel of Christ, that the chains have fallen off, the chains have been broken, and we have been set free from that condemning power of sin. And this sin-bearing work of Christ is then the, the basis for our living as slaves to righteousness. We are to pursue holiness because Christ bought our holiness. Do you see the connection? We are to live as slaves to righteousness because Christ purchased our righteousness with his own blood. 
The Apostle Peter makes the same point in his letter when he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. That's saying the same thing that Paul is saying here. It's the, sort of in, in saying in a different way, live as slaves to righteousness. That's the call. That's the flip side of living as slaves to righteousness. Do not go back to the old ways that you used to live under the ways of the slave master of sin, Peter says. Don't live that way. Don't return to that kind of slavery. Don't conform to those evil desires that you had before you knew the preciousness of Christ. Live instead, he says, as slaves to righteousness. That's the call. And then Peter gives the basis for that call in verse 18. He says, for you know, so don't live as, so don't live uh, conform to the evil desires. Don't go back to that old slavery. Live as slaves to righteousness, and here's on what basis. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There is what John Piper has called, and you can, if you're interested, you can see this, his thought on this in the, the last Together for the Gospel conference message, t4g.com. One of the talks was by John Piper, and he addresses this. So, so there is what John Piper has called an effective connection between the sin-bearing work of Christ and the sin-killing work of the Christian. We are to live as slaves to righteousness because Christ bought our righteousness. He shed his infinitely valuable blood to purchase your transfer from slavery to sin to righteousness, from a life of futility to a life of holiness. He, he bought that. He paid for it with his own blood. He paid for your righteousness in his payment was not a failure. He did not shed his blood in vain when he purchased your holiness. You see, you see how that plays out. He, he was crucified that you might grow in your radical, countercultural Christ-likeness. He, he bought that for you. He was crucified that you might attain victory over your anger. He was crucified that you might conquer your addiction to pornography. He was crucified that you might overcome your selfishness and your greed. He was crucified that you might break free from the chokehold of life's worries, riches, and pleasures. We are to live as slaves to righteousness because we were ransomed from unrighteousness. We are to pursue holiness because our freedom from the old slave master of sin has been bought infallibly with the precious blood of Jesus. As the old hymn says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Our identity as slaves to righteousness is based on the sin-bearing work of Christ. 
as we conclude this morning and as we prepare for communion, let me leave you with a picture. Imagine a dog living in a slum with an evil and ruthless master. So you get the picture in your head. The dog lives in a nasty hut in a filthy slum with streets full of garbage and rotting flesh all around. There's no yard to play in. There's no grass to roll around in. There's no kids to pet him or to take him for walks. There's no affection. There's no love. There's no tenderness. It is an existence of emptiness and death. And then one day, a kind man makes his way to the slum and he sees this dog. And though there's nothing at all inherently attractive about the dog, yet this, this kind man sets his affection on the dog. And he buys the dog at a hefty price, a price far greater than what the dog was worth. He buys the dog and he takes him home to his own home and his own nice neighborhood at the other end of town where there, there is a loving wife and kids and a, and a huge yard and a beautiful home and there are woods to explore and trails to walk on and, and rabbits to chase and good food to eat and, and hugs and kisses from the kids every single day. It is an existence of fullness in life. And now imagine how foolish it would be for that dog to crave the things of the slum. How foolish it would be for that dog to, to keep wanting to escape out of his yard and go to the other end of town and, 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 and to, to leave that big, beautiful yard to return to the slum and to roam the garbage-laden streets and to, and to feast on the rotting flesh. And to go back to that miserable hut of his old master. I mean, the, the, the very thought of that is, is absurd. And yet that is what we do again and again and again. That is what we do every time we sin. The sins that we commit are not just wrong. They are absurd. As Paul said, we, we are those who, who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are those who have been brought from the, the slum of slavery to sin to the island resort of new life in Christ. How can we ever entertain the idea of going back to the slum? Let us not return to the old slave master of sin. Let us remember that we have been purchased out of that bondage through the precious blood of Jesus. And let us live boldly and happily as slaves to righteousness. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer and response. <clears throat> and as we prepare our hearts this morning, O Lord, for communion, I pray, O Lord, that you would hear our prayers of confession and repentance for the ways that we have so foolishly
and absurdly returned to the old slave master of sin. Lord, forgive us and show us anew the wonder of the freedom that we have in Christ, the righteousness that he purchased for us with his own blood. Lord, hear our silent prayers this morning. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And so as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Lord, we praise you for what you have done for us in Christ, purchased us with the blood of Christ from the empty way of life handed down to us, purchased us from a life of slavery to sin and given us a righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that we can continue to grow into by the power of the Spirit in us. May it be so for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.